Welcome to our House of Hope podcast series. Today's topic is, Jeroboam, a man who stands out in Israel's monarchy. Our speaker today is, Pastor Goka Foley. Not quite sure whether it was my turn to come on, if there was still more to come. So thank you very much for celebrating Father's Day. And I want to say Happy Father's Day to every father in the house, or every man in the house. It's quite a honor to have to speak with us today on this uh, Father's Day. And I'm very, very privileged to be able to do that. Going to be talking to us about a topic that is very, very strange in title. And the title of my talk with us is going to be After a Man, Jeroboam. Jeroboam. A man who stands out in Israel's Let us pray. Heavenly Father, under your mercies, we present ourselves on this Father's Day. Your custom towards your people, it's your mercy upon them. That's why the man said, have mercy on me as your custom is towards your people. So we stand under your mercy this day and we ask that you speak with us and give us hearts of flesh to understand and to abide. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm going to be chatting with you. I don't want to say that uh, again because uh, it's become an identity in the house that when I come here, I, I just want us to talk. But interestingly, talk is usually a dialogue. And the side of it to being on the pulpit is the pulpit talk is not a dialogue. It's rather a monologue. So uh, you sit there and you listen to who is here. I wish we had a forum where uh, we can sometimes, beside the Sunday school, just engage in some, in some dialogue. But as much as I'll have it today, I, I want to make it a little bit of a chart, and basically with man, with man. So let me start this way. I'm going to be chatting with you children, male, 12 and under, because basically you are going to be fathers tomorrow. You're fathers of tomorrow. And I'm going to be having a chat with you, young men, 12 and above, chosen generation and youth, because some of you are fathers of today. 
And if you are not, you are still a waiting father. And I'm chatting with you, the older generation, middle age, because you are not only fathers of today, you are, some of you, are grandfathers. That means you are fathers of fathers of today. So we have the three categories of you. And it appears the people I'm talking to are just men. And it excludes the women. No, I'm not excluding you. You will be blessed collaterally. Yes. You will be blessed, blessed collaterally. But the focus of my chat is basically directly to men. And I must give you a little warning. Please don't think when I talk today that I'm talking about you. No. Don't think what I'm going to be talking about is, oh, Mr. Femi is up there just talking about me for what he has known about me. He went to the pulpit and talked about me. If you feel that way, you'll be missing a lot. You'll be missing a lot. So I don't want you to feel that way. I want you to take it as this. I'm sharing things that I see as a man personally. I want to share that with you. And one of the things I do as an assistant pastor here is not just to come here. And I don't think any of our pastors do that anyway. We don't just come here to just preach at you. Uh, but in my case, I try to share the part of it that I can share with you. There are some part of my life that I can't share with you that's personal. But there are others that I can uh, share with you. It helps me and it helps you. So uh, let's roll. The topic of today, I said, is Jeroboam. And I made it Jeroboam not because it's consistent with what I'm going to be sharing with you. If you look at what I'm going to be sharing with you, and you look at the topic I gave it, and I said Jeroboam, they are inconsistent. They don't match. But I put Jeroboam there because it's not a name that is so well known to many of us. As a matter of fact, when I call this sometimes, to some of us, we will have to spell it for you to understand it. I'm going to be talking a little bit, not just about him, but he's somebody that stands out in my personal study in the monarchy of Israel in the lines of kings in Israel. And we don't speak much about it. If we talk about kings of Israel, we'll be talking about King David. We'll be talking about Solomon. And these are individuals that people name their children after. You can look here and see many people whose name is David. Or look here and see individuals whose name is Solomon. As a matter of fact, the son is here. Ah, uh, yes. There's a Solomon 
among us and there are many, but there's one that is very, very special to me and to many of us. Well, everybody is special. So we call him Disarm. So it's a beautiful name to name our children after. But you never hear anyone whose name is Jeroboam unless you are a Jewish person. But in Christendom, you have to understand that, that among Jewish people, there is Saul, there's Judas, there's all these names that we Christians feel we don't want to call our children by. They are just names. They're just names. Okay. I've worked with Saul before, but you can't find a Christian whose name is Saul. So Jeroboam might be a name among the Jewish people because it is a name. But among Christians, we don't. And so I want it to stand out as it stands out to me. So when we talk about a few things today, you will remember him and use him as a guide to guide your life as a person. I'm taking my text from... Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 11. Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 11. And Proverbs chapter 14, verse 12. And Jeremiah chapter 17, verse 9 to 10. And before I read the text, I'm going to again warn you that the text is not going to be consistent very much with what I'm talking about until you get to the end of it. So I want you to bear that in mind. Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 11. It says, For I know the thoughts that I think towards you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil to give you a future and a hope. In another translation, it says to give you an expected end. So let's turn to Proverbs chapter 14, verse 12. Proverbs 14, 12. There is a way that seems right to a man, but the end is the way of death. In another translation, it says the end thereof is perdition, is destruction. Proverbs, sorry, Jeremiah chapter 17, 9 to 10. Jeremiah 17, 9 to 10. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? I take this very, very seriously because it is from the creator of man. And God is saying that the heart of man, the one who made us, who knows us best, is saying, your heart, I'm talking to men now, my heart is very, very deceitful. And very, very wicked. It can be. And who can know it? That does not mean that as you sit there, your heart is wicked. No. 
The Bible is talking about the raw heart, the unregenerated heart. And sometimes when we are regenerated, if care is not taken, we fall back into this state of wickedness in our hearts. So I want to start with this in mind, and I'll bring us into it. Gentlemen, I want you to listen to me carefully. Again, young men, children, young men, and adults, and older generation. As I just study the scriptures, there are a number of things that puzzle me. They give me a big puzzle. And when things like that puzzle me, I consider my life and I look at myself and I say, who am I? Am I prone to these things? Are you, as an individual, prone to these things? The first one I want to talk about is King Solomon. King Solomon, even though our title is Jeroboam. Remember, I told you, you might not find it consistent until later. King Solomon was a man whose father had a heart after God. He was ushered in onto the throne of Israel. It's like Jeremiah 29, 11. It's talking about. He was brought to the throne. Okay. He became a part of that monarchy, not because he struggled or worked for it. And when he was there, things that he had to use, things he had to implement according to the pattern that his father David had prepared, they were provided for him. The Bible says that before David passed, he summoned Israel and the elders of Israel. And he told them what things were in his heart about building a temple for the Lord. So he galvanized as much effort as he could. A lot of rich people, they just started donating towards the building of the temple. Everybody was built, bringing up what they had. And David himself was a master donator. Oh, he gave so much into it. So when Solomon got there, his job was a little bit made easy. When you read in the book of Esther and you read about King Ahasuerus, having provinces that is over 100, I think 127, the number is, I'm not sure, so I don't want to quote wrongly, but I think it's over 100 from where they were to the coast of Ethiopia, okay? Why is provinces? What you might not understand is these provinces pay tribute. No wonder King Ahasuerus was able to celebrate for almost 180 days. And when he finished celebration, he dedicated a week for his personal staff. There was just wealth all over the place. That's the way King Solomon was. His father David had conquered territories upon territories that brought royalties to him. In those days, they will call it tributes. 
And before you could see King Solomon, you didn't just go in there and see the king. No, 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 no. You will have to have some things with you. Very, very rich and wealthy. He had the hand and the spirit of God upon his life. Gentlemen, I want you to listen to this. King Solomon went on his knees before God. He spread his arms right on that knees at the dedication of the temple. He prayed and prayed and prayed. He prayed for himself and he prayed for the people upon him. He reigns. That's the heart of supplication. That's the heart of a king, having the king for the people, having the mind for the people that you rule over or that you reign over. He made special petition before God. I don't know how much time, but I can imagine that in his knees, a whole king, upon his knees, he knew that it was nothing before the Lord God Almighty. So he went on his knees there and spread his arms and made requests before God. And God answered like he had never answered any man. I usually say this to myself, that it was not the intention of God to build, to have that temple built. It was David's intention. God, when David came up with it, God said, look, I am not human being like you are. I'm not a person that can be contained in house made with walls. No. But on that day at the dedication of the temple, the Bible tells us that the presence of God came down in that place, that the whole place was filled that even the singers, the Asaphs, the instruments, because of the cloud of that glory, the smoke, they could not see one another that much. And God spoke. And later again, God appeared to Solomon personally in a dream. And now look at this. Gentlemen, I want you to look at this. In 1 Kings chapter 11, I want you to open to it. 1 Kings chapter 11, verses 5 to 7. 1 Kings chapter 11, verses 5 to 7. For Solomon went after Ashtoreth, the goddess of the Sidonians, and after Milcom, the abomination of the Amorites. And Solomon did evil in the sight of the Lord, and went not fully after the Lord as did David his father. Verse 7. Then did Solomon, look at this, the, the person who has built a temple for the Lord. Then did Solomon build a high place for Chemosh, the abomination of Moab. And if you remember, during the time of Jephthah, 
when Chemos, oh, sorry, Moab, the king of Moab was ready to launch an attack on Israel. And Jephthah, who was a hoodlum, a vagabond, was uh, the, 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 the judge over Israel at that time. If you recall the message he sent to him, he said, no, our God has secured this place for us. Will you, as a Moabite, will you give up a place that Chemosh, your God, has secured for you? What are you talking about? Well, that's not the sermon for today. Because overnight, Jephthah rose up and made his military march into Moab for a great conquest. These were the people that were even before David, they were conquered before Israel. Solomon, for that matter, Solomon built a high place for Chemosh, the abomination of Moab, in the hill that is before Jerusalem. And for Molech, one of the things Molech did was to make his worshippers sacrifice their children them through fire. The abomination of the children of Ammon. Let me tell you the question that came to my mind. What went wrong? I'm talking to you, man. What went wrong? If this could happen to Solomon, then I look at myself in my personal life. This could happen to Mr. Femi. Unless he understands some certain things that I'm going to be sharing with you. That's, that's one person. That's one king. Let's come to Jeroboam. Let's come to Jeroboam. I'm just going to talk about Jeroboam with you. I'm going to share the background. We're not going to be reading this in the scriptures. Jeroboam was a person who was not in monarchy lineage. He was not in the line for the kingship in Israel. He was not about the throne. God preserved him because of the sins of Solomon. And God brought him from nowhere, from nowhere, a prophet appeared to him and told him, remember Jeremiah chapter 29, 11, and told him things he did not expect to hear. The kingdom will be handed over to him. A whole 10 tribes. The only reason the entire kingdom was not handed to him was because of David. And God said, I'm going to leave these tribes just because of my man, David, everything else was under the kingship of Jeroboam. It's more or less like a jackpot. You just sit in your house, you're minding your own business, and they just brought a pot of gold to you. <laughs> you're sitting in your house. So some of us who are probably from over there, and somebody say, look, here is your visa. You're going to Europe, you're going to United States, you're going to this place, you're going to that place where you've always longed to go. And not only are you going to be there, your house, your parlor, you are going to be made a king. You're going to be made something there that you never thought before. 
Now look at this. Look at this. It's in It's in the same scriptures and we're going to read it. This is 1st King chapter 12. I'm not going to read the entire thing. 1st King chapter 12 from 28 to 33. I read it fast so you can get it. Are we there? Okay. Whereupon the king took counsel and made two calves of gold. This is King Jeroboam now. And said to them, it is too much for you to go up to Jerusalem. Excuse me. I'll give you a little preamble so you understand the context of this. A point came where King Jeroboam now felt that if the people continue to go to Jerusalem to worship, their loyalty will be transferred from him to Rehoboam, the son of Solomon. So he, he felt insecure. He began to nurture his thought in his mind that with this going on, because all Israel went to Jerusalem to worship. So he was threatened by that. He felt that when the multitude of the people, the entire 12 tribes, even though they had two different kings, if they continued to go to Jerusalem, which was in Judah, he was threatened that he might lose the throne. The question is, did you fight for the throne in the first place? Did you work for that throne in the first place? It was handed to you on a platter of gold. Gentlemen, many times we do forget that what we are as husbands, as men, as leaders, whether young or fathers now or grandfathers, we did not make ourselves. And look at the thought that came to him. So you, you can get that backdrop now about the feeling of King Jeroboam. The thought that can come from a person's heart. The feelings that can come from a person's heart. He said, it is too much to go up to Jerusalem. Behold thy gods, O Israel, which brought thee out of the land of Egypt. And he set the one in Bethel, and the other put he in Dan. And this thing became a sin, for the people went to worship the one, even unto Dan, and he made a house of high places, and made priests of the lowest of the people, which were not on the sons of Levi. And Jeroboam ordained a feast in the eighth month of the fifteenth day of the month, like unto the feast that is in Judah. And I believe the Spirit of God will give you understanding as we are reading through this. I have to be fast with this. And he offered upon the altar. So did he in Bethel, sacrificing unto the calves that he had made. And he placed in Bethel the priests 
of the high places which he had made justifiable rationale. So he offered upon the altar which he had made in Bethel the fifteenth day of the eighth month, even in the month which he had devised of his own heart, and ordained a feast unto the children of Israel, and he offered upon the altar and burnt incense. What this is, is he now created a new pattern for the people. If you're a student of the scriptures, you will understand that kings and kings and kings and kings upon kings, rather, after Jeroboam. The Bible will say, after the sin of Jeroboam, which he caused Israel to sin. From something that was handed to him on a platter of gold, Jeremiah 29, 11. The plan that I have towards you and the plans of good and not of evil to give you a hope, to give you a future, to bring you an expected end. What went wrong? What went wrong? I thought about two things. We looked at two people. We looked at Solomon, men. This is, we're doing a talk. Women, just listen and support your men. Because this is more of a chart. One-way chart, as you say. What went wrong? The first one I came up with is strange women. Strange women. If you are there, I want you to understand with me that I'm not talking about you. I'm looking at reflections of my understanding, my personal life, and how I get things. Strange women. There's a difference between women, a wife, and a strange woman. And that's what the Bible calls it. And I call it sometimes the other woman. They are responsible in the case of Solomon. One of the things that is surprising is as wise as Solomon was, the Bible talks about Solomon as being the wisest king of his time. It even mentions some three men. And I went to research those three men. He said, well, those three men actually stood in the presence of David because he brought them over. Okay. Well, maybe some of them stood in the presence of David. I don't remember their names now. Okay. He mentioned the name of three men that were reputable for wisdom in those days. And he said the wisdom of Solomon passed them all. How can, how can a king who is so wise fall cheap into the hand of strange women? The Bible talks about him loving the daughter of the king of Egypt, the daughter of the king of Moab, the, the women that God forbade them to go into. Those, it talks about Solomon having, is it seven wives and 300, 700, so many concubines. 
Well, thank you if you know the number. That's not the something. Whether, whether it's one or it's 700 or 100, it doesn't matter. It's the same thing. Gentlemen, when your heart begins to shift from your wife to somebody else, you need to begin to get understanding that what happened to Solomon is beginning to happen to you. Here's the thing about strange women, or here's the thing about us men. Let's, let's face each other and talk about it. Did you know that you can build a house, a man can build a house in Paris in front, for a woman? A man might not buy a bicycle for his, for his wife at home, and he buys a Rolls Royce for that strange woman. The woman at home begins to be reduced to nothing. Everything she does, you abhor. There's a way the devil makes you to now begin to find faults. Why? Because of that other woman. Oh, when you sleep, they're in your thoughts. When you wake, they're in your thoughts. And guess what? That strange woman knows it. Because that's the way they capture men. They know it. They know it that you regard them better than the one you have at home. And before you know it, things you did not do before, things you did not accommodate before, will begin to be the order of the day for you. That's where you begin to erect strange altar that is not supposed to be there. By the way, I said it one time before, that the debut of God's instructions to man, before God started giving instructions to man in terms of commandment, it opened up with a debut, Exodus 23, Thou shalt have no other God beside me. That's the opening statement. You might not realize it. It's like you go into a movie or you go into the book, the first thing that opens the chapter. And that statement is like the first thing that opens the womb to man. Because we didn't know much about God's instructions. Gentlemen, we didn't know much about God's commandment. So when God will begin to teach people about his ways, his laws, his statutes, his ordinances, the very first debut that he wants us to understand is you cannot, don't you dare it. You cannot have any other God beside me. And that's the very first thing that will begin to break. Let's go to Jeroboam. I promise myself it's going to be short. The derailer, well, the derailer of Solomon was strange women. The derailer, there are so many derailers, but we're just going to be talking about two, of Jeroboam was his heart. The concept of his heart. He came to a point where he came in his heart to begin to think that, hmm, if this continue to be like this, this will threaten me. 
What does it remind me of? The Egyptians. The reason they started committing evil and oppressing Israel was a thought came to them. Hmm. If these people continue like this, they're going to be stronger than we are. They're going to overtake us. And therefore, every other thing comes in. That's exactly what happens to Jeroboam. He began to entertain some things. What is what is astounding to me is that many times when something comes to us, we are so used to thinking everything that comes to us, oh, God is speaking with us. Oh, the Spirit of the Lord told me this. God says this to me. I've accustomed myself to tune to people and hear them well. When you stand here and you're telling me, oh, the Spirit of God says this to me. Here's what I put up there. If we can help me put it up that statement. The heart, the heart, the heart. Listen to this. When a man is on a wrong path and intends to do what he wants to do, his heart might give him an excuse, a justifiable rationale that blinds him to God-given truth. With this rationale, he fails to weigh his actions against divine instructions. He shuns divine and God-given counsel. He avoids the priesthood. What I mean by that is he avoids ministers. He avoids his pastor. <clears throat> Excuse me. He avoids the priesthood, but he secures the counsel that supports his intentions and rationale. That means the people he talks to, the counsel he seeks, are the ones who can support the line of his mind. And he proceeds his course and may derail perpetually. This man might end in perdition. That's the heart to you. I'm not saying it for the first time, and I believe that the pastor of this house has stood here and said it to us before as well. When you are a person that your heart is, you don't take counsel. Whatever, I'm talking to men now. I'm talking to men. Nobody can tell you anything. Whatever it is that comes up in your mind, the way you feel, the way you think, the way you, you process things, oh yes, that's it. <coughs> it can be, in fact, I've had people who will say, even if God comes down, I'm not going to change my mind. 
And so in order for you to do that thing, you intentionally avoid the real cancer that might tell you otherwise. I had to come down to a point in my life to examine myself. Am I like that? Do I do that? When I'm at work now, even on work things, I will call people who work with me. Nobody works for me. I said they work with me. Say, take a look at this. What do you think about this? What do we do about this? Because you get when you are surrounded with the right people and the right counsel, it's very, very hard to miss it. What happened in Jeroboam? Even the Bible mentioned it just in a line. He took counsel before he did what he did. Oh, yeah, this is what you do. Let's rise up to our feet. I'm up. Let's rise up to our feet. I want a man to please come forward with me here. I want the men to come forward. Don't worry, we're not going to be occupying so much space. We're, we're outnumbered by women, so don't worry. Okay. Okay. Man, whether it's a baby or a boy or a baby boy or whatever, I want the men to come forward here. Let's do that quickly. Because I want us to pray. And our wives, women, sisters, daughters, I want you to pray for us as we stand here. Don't think things I'm saying here, I'm just saying it out of ordinary. I'm talking to you from my personal life experience and the way I see things, okay? So here are the prayer I pray for myself and I want to share this with you. So we pray it together. And our women, yeah, oh, you can sit, women can sit, okay? Just, just put your mind towards your men. Then I tell you, okay, we didn't even fill the front row. Okay. In a, <laughs> I don't know the percentage of men to women in any church, but at least we thank God that we're still represented, Alleluia. even if it's only one. Okay. Look at what things I'm going to be praying for. Can you please put it up for me, please? See, want us to pray, number one, when you pray. Okay, quickly. I want you to pray. This is not my style, but the, I, I want you to pray quietly. I don't want your prayer to disturb somebody. Don't shout into somebody else's ears. Okay. I want you to pray and make this between you and God. Okay. There are times when we'll be here, we will rock this place with prayer. Yes, there's time for that. But at this moment, I don't want you to rock. I want you to rock this place with prayer, but I want you to commune. <clears throat> I want you to commune with God quietly on this. It's an identity prayer. I want you to, here is what I put here, identity recognition. The price of our redemption is too costly to be traded for anything. The oil on your head is too costly to be wasted. The reason we fall in trap of strange women or follow counsel that is not God is sometimes our failure to understand our identity, that the cost of our redemption, the price that was paid to redeem us cannot, cannot 
be traded for anything. Each of you, you have, you carry the anointing of God upon your head, whether you know it or not. As long as you are a believer, you carry the anointing of God upon your head. That anointing upon your head is far worth more than the crown on the head of any king on the planet. I mean that seriously. We celebrate kings. We celebrate in Europe, monarchy and all the, the anointing on your head is worth far, far more than the crown that is placed on any king. So you are going to pray and say, Lord, help me to recognize my identity. Help me to recognize that you have purchased me with a price. My price cannot be traded. My identity will never fail before me. In Jesus' name we pray. Here's the second one we pray for. I want us to pray for the heart of flesh. The heart of flesh. The heart of flesh makes obedience a norm. I sit here many times and I listen to my pastors. Oh, follow God's commandment. Elder Deshina is here. You have to be obedient to the commandment. Let me tell you, unless you have a heart of flesh, you can never be obedient. Whatever is coming out, when you have a sound of stone, everything that is coming from the pulpit is just bouncing back. It's just bouncing back. The only thing you want to do is what's in your head. You will know people, I mean, you might know people around you. No matter what anybody says, you will say, ah, ah, this person comes to church for God's sake. Doesn't he hear what is going on? <coughs> It's because of the heart of stone. You want to say, Lord, give me the heart of flesh that obedience to you will be a norm for me. Let's pray that prayer. In Jesus' name we prayed. And number three, number three, I'm going to be quick with it. I really, really apologize. I don't do this. I don't take beyond the time. Humble spirit. Humble spirit. And listen to this. I want you to open your eyes and look up to what I wrote here. It takes a humble spirit to know that we are wrong when we are wrong. I'm going to repeat that. It takes a humble spirit to know we are wrong when we are wrong. Not only to know that we are wrong, but to accept it that we are wrong. Not only to accept it, but to be remorseful about it and apologize where necessary. And not only to apologize, but to make correction and do the right thing. You want to say, Lord, give me that humble spirit. Let me know when I'm wrong. Let me be able to at least consider Am I wrong or when I'm wrong to accept it, to apologize where necessary, and to make things right? In Jesus' name we pray. And number four, we are running up soon. Forgiving spirit. Forgiving spirit. Forgiving spirit does not give people a second chance. This is common out there. You say, okay, God is a God of second chance. It's a lie. God is not a God of second chance. God is a God of multiple chances. If God were a God of second chance, I would not be standing here today. 
because there is third, second, fourth, fifth, I will be dead. So, forgiving spirit does not give people a second chance, but innumerable chances while we protect ourselves from being victims. I want you to pray that God will give you that spirit of forgiveness, no matter what. No matter whether it's your wife or it's anybody that does something to you, it can be just one time, they do it again and again and again and again and again. We are willing to forgive again and again and again and again. These are things that I pray for myself again and again and again and again. You don't count sins to people. You don't count errors to people. You don't say that's what he did the last time. That's what she did the last time. Oh, the no, no, no. Let's emulate God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We can open our eyes. Happy Father's Day, gentlemen. Let's give the Lord a round of applause. Thank you very much. We can go back to our seat. Happy Father's Day. You have been listening to Pastor Gokafolian's message called Jeroboam, a man who stands out in Israel's monarchy. If you're in the Washington, D.C. region, visit in person at our address. Please subscribe to our podcast and watch us live. God bless you.